Is there more to say than Jesus paid it all? She walked into the room. She wasn't supposed to be there. It's dark. No one really sees her come. She kind of creeps into the room, really. The person who owns the house is wealthy, um, highly placed in their community. She knows who he is. She knows him well. She knows that he wouldn't have invited her, hasn't invited her. And if he finds out she's there, he's throwing her out. She's tucked into her clothes. A small thing, not a big, just a small thing, not a large thing, just a small thing, but a very valuable, valuable thing. She knows that when she presents this gift, it will be with her whole heart, and it will cause the exposure of her presence comes anyway. Through the darkness, she looks into the light, and she can see the, the people gathered, and she sees the person she's headed for, and she, she quietly creeps up toward him, and there she kneels at his feet, and Mary begins, overwhelmed by the moment to weep. Tears flow down her face and then they fall on his feet and she opens up this gift. She takes off the top, breaks it open however she does it and the aromas of the perfume inside this box begin to fill the house immediately. It's as if one of those people who has too much cologne has watched in, walked into a small room with you and they've filled the place. Well, this is beyond that by a hundred times and she begins to dump it out on his feet and then on his head. And there's a gasp across the room. It's embarrassing. It's disturbing what she's doing. And the guy who owns the house the guy who owns the house of all people, given what Jesus has done for him, given the background of his relationship with this woman, given all that's on the table, the man who owns the house thinks in himself, if this man knew what manner of woman it is who is washing his feet, He would not allow her to touch him. Jesus calls attention to himself and to the owner of the house. When he looks up from the table and he says, Simon, I have something to say to you. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii, the other 50. When they had nothing with which to repay, he freely gave them both forgiveness. Tell me, which of them will love him more? 
Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And Jesus said, you're right. Do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet. But she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss. But this woman has not ceased kissing my feet since I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil. But this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. Because she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. You know what I think is wrong with us when we look at this passage? We think we're Simon, not the woman. We don't see ourselves as the person who has been loved so extravagantly by God that it brings us to tears. And that the only thing we could imagine ourselves doing in His presence is to fall thankful at His feet, overwhelmed by what's been done. Pastor Tim told you last week that he hoped when you left you would think of yourself as a tree. I hope you have been feeling that connected abiding that he was trying to tell you about last week. I would like to take you on a journey into the life of a man felt what this woman felt as he tries to explain what all this abiding stuff feels like. It's going to be a trip through Romans chapter 5. But I want you to hold on to the vision, the picture of a woman kneeling at Jesus' feet who has nothing to say but just feels so deeply and completely loved that she expresses the heart of one who's been forgiven. Because that's the person who's speaking in Romans 5. Paul is this woman. Figuratively, of course. But he is one who knows the depth of God's love and the enormity of his forgiveness. Let's pray. Father God, as we open your word, we pray that your Holy Spirit would be present in our hearts, our minds, our lives, our thoughts, certainly with the preacher, but not only with the preacher, with all of the church. Those present, certainly those present, electronically as well. 
that you will that you will carry into our hearts what you wish for each of us today. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've got a chance to open your Bible, your device, turn to Romans chapter 5. I just want to tell you, I want you to see, I want to bring to you that Paul is so overwhelmed as he's trying to present the impact of the good news that we are saved by faith as Abraham was, that he's trying to take us into such a deep level of this that he, he just keeps repeating himself. You know, like a preacher, you've heard preachers, you don't know, you know not, not like me, I'd probably only do this once or twice a month, but like preachers who repeat themselves, who say things over and over again to try to get you to understand the point. Here is the man, here is the man, Paul, who is speaking to the Romans, but he's preaching to the Romans. And his primary, his his key phrase, the key thing you need to pick up, you need to see in this text, over and over as it appears, is the, the phrase, much more in the English. Much more in the English. It's a, it's a good phrase for the, the translation because the two M's, they tie together in your brain. Much more, much more. When your ice cream ran out at the end of the meal and you were nine years old, you wanted more, but you didn't just want more, you wanted much more. Much more. So as we go, Romans chapter 5, verse 8 sets the table. It's the first, but it sets the table, and it's a very important first table setter. This is, uh, this is where we should be going back mentally. This is the piece that is the thread through it all. But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to get it together. He didn't wait for us to be interested in it. He didn't wait for us to choose it. He did it when we were enemies, when we were opposed to Him, and God was opposed to our actions. God showed His love. Paul says... God showed His love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That we're not looking at God who is mad at us and Jesus who loves us. We're looking at one Godhead, triune, united, stating plainly how much they love us at the cross. And that when we were enemies, Christ died for us is the loudest shout. You see, Paul will, pre- will, will, will precede this by saying some people would die for a good cause. Some people would die for a good person. But who would die for a bad person? He's setting those in opposition to. He said, here, Jesus didn't just die for even a bad person. He, jo- he died for his enemies. He saw the value in us that we couldn't see in ourselves. That's what brought Mary to her feet in that room where she was not welcome to embarrass herself before everyone, to expose herself to being ridiculed and removed, kicked out of the house by by Simon. That's what caused her to go the day, the week, the month before and spend a year's wages on a gift for Jesus. She was loved so much forgiven so completely she knew the love of god so deeply she felt it so much that there was nothing she could do but fall down at jesus feet and worship he says god demonstrates his love on the cross he demonstrates his love but but he doesn't stop 
The next thing he says is much more. God demonstrates the depth of his love on the cross. Jesus died so that you would understand the love of God. And oh, by the way, much more. Not a little more. Not more. Much more. Much more. The word, the word in Greek, it's up, it's up there. The, the little phrase. It would come across like much more does. You know, much more has a, has a cadence to it. In Greek, this would be palo malone. Palo malone. Palo malone. Over and over as he's repeating it through. Remember, these things are read out loud to the people that, that are gathered. The Roman letter wasn't sent and passed around. It was brought into the church and read out loud. And the cadence of Paul's much mores would flow through and flow through. And it would keep being repeated. And they would hear that phrase, Palo malone. Palo malone. Palo malone. Much more, much more, much more. And he's telling us that there is something much greater, something much more to be looked at than the fact that God demonstrated his love for us on the cross. Much more than having now been justified, our status has been changed. Our status has been changed. We have been justified. Now having been justified by the death of Christ on the cross, having been justified. Remember, just as if I'd never sinned. Now our status is changed. We are no longer a person condemned to die. We are no longer a person whose sin has them headed for the wrath at the end. We are no longer that person. We are now having been justified. Changed in our status. We shall be saved from wrath through Him. I want to talk about this wrath for just a minute. Because we we look at that word and we say, well, see, he's mad. No, 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 no. You misunderstand what takes place. Can you come, come for a second, my love? Yeah, I know. You just wanted to do this all day long. But you're the only person in the house. Love, to be expressed, cannot be separated. Love, to be experienced, cannot continuously be separated. There's a veil between God and man. A separation that has been placed there for our protection by His mercy, because of His mercy, we are not consumed. A separation that Jesus felt on the cross because sin came down. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because He separated. Did He not love Jesus in that moment? Of course He did. But the separation was felt. Moses, you can't look on me and live. Sin cannot dwell in the presence of a holy God. The wages of sin, unfortunately, is the consummation, the destruction of that very sin. Those who choose it over God will be destroyed with it, not because God dislikes them, because they've chosen this thing over God, this thing that will be destroyed. And when God ceases to be separate from mankind, the wages of sin will be paid, not because... God 
has demanded it, but because men have chosen something that cannot coexist with God. The choice to love rejoins humanity to God. And when that rejoinder, when that rejoining takes place, then the result is the destruction of those who chose sin over the relationship. Because the separation will one day be gone. And sin can't dwell in the presence of God. The Bible calls that wrath. Thank you. Love, for one, separates everyone else into a different category. Love always, love always, Jesus invites us into the relationship beyond the veil, into the presence of God, no longer separated from Him, but justified, cleansed, as if there was no sin to separate and no sin to be consumed and calls us back into His presence. When, when the veil is finally removed, that causes us not to suffer the consequences of the original decision of our forefathers that we've carried forward to today. When the veil is removed, the consequence of our decision will be felt. Jesus said, I did not come to condemn the world. The world is already condemned because light has been shown into the world and they chose darkness instead of light. The church, the church's job is to say now that I've run into Jesus, now that I've fallen at his feet, now that I've discovered his love. I'm just telling you, you you'd be so blessed by it. You'd love it. It'd be awesome. You would you would be so encouraged and so strengthened and you would just it would be awesome. The church's job is just to say, before I didn't know Jesus, life was like this, and now I do know Jesus and life is like this. Much more. More than you can even imagine life being. Much more having been justified, my status changed. I am saved from wrath through him. Much more, my eternity is secure as well. Not only am I justified here, cleansed of my sins here, my eternity is secure. Much more, my eternity is secure. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son. The records were set straight. When you reconcile the records, you make sure things balance out. You make sure your I's are dotted, your T's are crossed. You make sure that the account comes to the number that it's supposed to come to. When you reconcile with God, when things are reconciled with God, your debt is paid. Your account is settled. Now, having been reconciled with God through the death of His Son, again, much more, much more than having been reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more than having my sins wiped away, the record gone, a zero at the account's debt, much more than having the account set back to zero, the account has been given in an un, 
consumable credit. Much more having been reconciled with him, we shall be saved with him, by his life. That his life for ours is more than just the cross paying for our sins. It's a record of unfallenness. It's a record of no sin. It's a record where our record should be that says there's nothing here to look at, Satan. There's no sin accounted to this person ever again. Much more, having been reconciled, the book didn't just go to zero. The, the, the ring was slipped onto our finger that made us part of the family and gave us check-writing privileges and the assurance of God's accountant that He would cover whatever check we ever write. Much, much more than just a zero. Malo, malo. Now that we have been zeroed out in our debt, we have a balance that we could never spend. Much more. Paul is, Paul is aware of this. Paul's the guy who was killing church people. Paul was the guy going from town to town trying to snuff out Christianity before it got a chance to start. He has not only thought this through. This is not just a theological understanding for him. It's a personal, transformational experience. Like Mary walking into that dark room with her alabaster box tucked somewhere in her clothes, kneeling before Jesus, knowing that the next thing she does will expose her. She can't help herself but to worship. So she does. And every gospel records it. The men sitting around that table are so powerfully touched by that moment that everybody remembers it when it comes time to write the story. These guys get it now. These guys, 30 years, 40 years later, when they write the biography of Jesus, they get it now. They understand what was happening that night. Paul, 40, 50 years later, when he's writing to the Romans, he understands personally what happened that night. It happened to him. You know, church gatherings where we gather to worship They are the woman on her knees with the box, weeping on the feet of Jesus as the dust gathers and rolls off onto the ground. Breaking open the box and beginning at his feet and ending at his head, anointing him. Jesus says, anointing him for his burial. She's doing things she doesn't even know she's doing because she's not doing this for her or about her. It's every bit about Jesus. Wow, what would worship be like if it was every bit about Jesus? What would it be like to come to church and not bring our baggage? To come to church and not be embarrassed about singing too loud or singing off key? Not be looking at the person next to us or listening to the person behind us? Just there with God in our own space, in our own head, in the Holy Spirit's leading, just worshiping God because we know how much more we've been given.
skipping a bunch. You should go read this. Not only that. You got to understand, Paul's building his argument. He's been talking about this, and he gets, he's now set the stage and described what this situation is like through Christ, this, against sin, that, Adam, Christ, Christ, Adam. And then he says, and not only that, get the preacher cranked up when you hear him, much more. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. We rejoice in the Lord. Now, this, this word, we, we, yeah. it, it's not an accounting word. This is a safe harbor. This is a word where we are drawn into relationship. We have been restored to relationship. The reconciliation is not simply an accountant's idea here. The reconciliation that's being described here is bigger. It is not. Without that, certainly the books have been set. But we have been drawn into the presence of a God whom we do not dare approach. And it is not just that we have been drawn into His presence. We've been drawn into His presence as a safe harbor against the destructive authority of sin in our world and in our life. We have been drawn into relationship. We've been invited into His presence. We have passed beyond the veil, as Hebrews said. In the authority and covering of Christ, we now can stand with God face-to-face. Paul is saying, and not only that, we get to hang out with God. We have the right to hang out with God. Not only that, we get to go to God's house with no fear, with no worry, with no shudder. But the free gift is not like an offense, not like the offense that Adam bore and gave to all of us. For if by one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. He's now, invent- he's now placing in another word. It's the word that we like to, to, to look at as abundance around here. He has now said the grace of God is abundant for many. It's more than just enough of a covering. It's piles of covering. It's piles and piles and piles. It was not a million dollars he put into your account. It was 300 billion just for good zero measures. It's an abundant amount, more than you can imagine having. It's an abounding, abundant amount. The, 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 The problem started at the tree and we inherited the problem and we have really doubled down on the problem. He says God had to place the law there and so we could understand the depth of sin, the breadth of sin, the height of sin. The law helped us understand and define what our problem really was and that drove us to Jesus as the only answer. When we hit the wall of our own ability to take care of our problems, that's where we find Jesus. And he says, he doesn't just give you the answer. He doesn't just say, okay, here's enough to cover your debt. He says, no, 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 no. No, I have come that you might have life. Zeroed out the debt. And have life more abundantly than you ever imagined. 
This is the prodigal son getting the ring slipped on his finger, guys. We miss it in the story all the time when the ring goes on the finger of the son. It calls him back in reconciliation into the family. Now he can go to the father without fear. But it also gives him check-writing privileges on an account that cannot be drained. And that's why Mary is kneeling at Jesus' feet. Having having said seven demons cast out of her, having lived a life of prostitution, having used maybe some of the product of that job for this gift. And in the dark of that night, she expresses maybe better than anyone else in history the purity of worship when you know just the greatness of the forgiveness of God and how amazing it is to be reinstated into a relationship that you thought you had unrepentantly and consistently and totally destroyed. Reconciled to God and all by much more the gift of grace from God through Jesus. It doesn't just, it's not just so much more, it's abounding much more. He's going to get stuck on this word as he comes near the end of this. For if by one man's offense death reigned through that one, much more. Palo Malone. Palo Malone. The preacher starts to whisper for a sense of attention. You can only yell for so long at some point. You have to lower your voice to be heard. And Paul, in my heart, begins to whisper. And he says, much more. Those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. The much more just got bigger because your eternal life is being described as a walk of reign with Christ. You're being called as prince and princesses into the kingdom of the king. You're not just serfs and servants. You are called children of the Father. If you are children of the Father, then you are princes and princesses of the kingdom. And you reign and walk with Christ much more abounding than what you thought. You're not just a doorkeeper, which would be a pretty cool job. You're not just passing out the carts. Would you like a cart, sir? You have inherited the kingdom as a prince and princess. Your sins are forgiven. That's cool. Your account is abundantly covered. That's amazing. And oh, by the way, you've been adopted. The ring has just gotten slipped on your finger, too. Because what happened when you got the ring slipped on your finger is you became a child of the Father. You became, once again, reinstated as son and daughter. 
Not a servant hired for the family. That's all that he thought he could be. That's all the prodigal son thought he could be was a, a servant who lived in the town, who came to the house and washed dishes and cleaned up. It would be good enough for him. That'd be good enough for him. But no, when he came back, he was reinstated entirely and declared a family member. Paul is saying when you are covered by the grace of God, you are covered and reinstated in such a way and reconciled in such a way that your childhood... Your, the nature of you as a child of God is reinstated and you live and you reign as a prince and princess with Jesus Christ. Now, just in case, just in case you needed more, the next paragraph, the next line starts with, Moreover, the law entered that offense might abound. Ooh, there's a whole nother theological discussion here. The law entered that offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. <sighs> he ends this phrase changing you're no longer just saying much more. He's saying super abundant, abounding much more. Where sin was pointed out and defined and focused on and spotlighted by the law. Where sin grew. Where the sins of man piled up where the sins of one man piled up, where the sins of one woman piled up, where the person couldn't look themselves in the mirror anymore when they felt so ashamed they didn't go out except at night because the light of day was too embarrassing, where sin abounded, grace super abounded. The word here is hyper. If Romans chapter 5 is anything, it's a celebratory walk to the reason we worship. We were reconciled to God through the death of His Son. He showed us His love at the cross. He gave us a covering that washed away our sin. And oh, by the way, much more than that, He gave us more than just a covering. He gave us abundance in His covering. He gave us more than just abundance in His covering. He invited us to be part of the family again. He gave us more than just an invitation back to live at the house and have our old room back. He gave us a throne next to Him that we might reign with Him in the kingdom for eternity. Yes, sin has multiplied on the planet, but where sin multiplies, grace super multiplies. Because God wanted to demonstrate His love for us. Let's pray. Father, please don't let this slip away from
Don't let us fall back into shame. Don't let us turn to the answers the world throws at us. Don't let it let us pick at the person in the mirror that has see the abundance of your grace, your love, your reinstatement. Father, let us know that we are loved by the eternal creator of the universe who lives beyond time, outside of our universe, outside of our understanding, beyond sin, and who expresses and is the expression of love for us. Lord Jesus, we accept your sacrifice and your embrace.